Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and today we're going to get a little research nerd on you. Uh, we are talking to Marta Serra Garcia. Uh, I'm not going to lie, that sounded pretty good in my head, so I don't know how it sounded to you, but uh, it's still probably wrong. Anyways, Marta is a behavioral economist and is an assistant professor of economics and strategic management at the University of California, San Diego. And I uh, met Marta and saw her present some of her research with James Andrioni at the Science of Philanthropy Initiative conference in Chicago, really looking at the impact of pledging and deferred responsibility and gratitude and thanking. And it's really interesting research, I think, for us in the space where people are really interested in giving but often don't follow through. And maybe there's a role for something like pledging where they can commit now and follow through later uh, can fill some of that void or help improve and grow generosity. So that's really what we talk about today is her research and some of the implications and application of it in the real world. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hi, Marta. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So before we get into some of your research uh, that I came across on pledging, which is really interesting, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you ended up at UCSD and in this uh, arena of behavioral economics and particularly looking at things like generosity and giving. So share a little bit of your story. How did you end up where you are? (laughs) Well, I'm originally from Barcelona, um, but when I was studying economics, I was fascinated by behavioral economics, how um, we can use psychology and economics to change people's behavior. And the behavior that fascinates me is generosity. I think it's uh, crucially important for society, and we help both our family members and strangers. Um, But it's also very complicated and very intriguing, right? We want to think of ourselves as generous, um, although we're not always generous. Um, and so there's this, um, yeah, this intricate uh, tension in our minds and in our daily behaviors as to, you know, we want to be generous, but we also may find excuses easily not to be generous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously know much, much less about behavioral economics than you do. But one of the interesting things is, you know, I think everyone's hardwired for giving, right? And it's part of who we are and what we do. But like you said, we don't do it. And the reasons yeah. why we do it or don't do it are just crazy and inconsistent. It's It must be a, like you said, it's yeah. an interesting field. It must be one of the most complicated fields of study, no? <laughs> yeah, it is complicated because it's not so systematic, exactly because what you're saying, right? It's like, oh, you know, we take think pain to think, oh, let's say I give someone a match and then they're always going to give. And if I don't give them the match, they're, gonna, they're not going to give. And that's not, that's, you know many details of the context matter. The same intervention, if you do it slightly differently, may lead to two very different behaviors. <laughs> right. <And laughs> it makes it interesting, but I think there's more and more work in behavioral economics trying to understand this. Um, it just doesn't have a simple answer, at least not, not yet. 
Yeah, if it was simple, then you know we'd all be doing it. <laughs> so exactly, <laughs> I appreciate that people like you are doing the hard work so that we can take advantage of some of that research. So, uh, so that's what I want to spend some time talking about today. Is because uh, I was at the Science of Philanthropy Initiative conference and saw you yeah. present some really cool research around uh, pledging, basically, and what that looks like in more of an online context. So it was, it was a new form of pledging-based research that I hadn't seen before. So can you maybe just walk through, like, why did you want to research this area in the first place? Uh, mm-hmm. And then kind of walk us through a little bit of the research. Um, yeah, definitely. So there's very – we have studied giving for a long time, but we have not studied pledging as much. Um, and And so – we so I did this research with my collaborator, Jim Andreoni, um, the creator of the Warm Glow and a big figure in the field. Um, and so we were both puzzled by the fact that you know a lot of um, charitable organizations and nonprofits um, ask their donors for pledges, um, but we also kind of anecdotally knew that often pledges are not fulfilled. And so the question was why. Why use pledges if there's a high chance that someone may not fulfill their pledge? Um, how should we think about them? What are their values that are we not seeing, you know, um, by just starting to think about it? So we thought it was an, a, a common phenomenon and puzzling to see it be so common, given that it has clear drawbacks. But we were interested in figuring out, is there are there values we're not seeing? Yeah. And can you just define a, a pledge just for people who are maybe unfamiliar what that is? Yes, totally. Um, So um, when we think of a pledge, we think of a non-binding commitment. So a stated intention or, you know, a a promise to give a certain amount to to a charity. Um, It could be something else. A pledge could be simply a promise to do something. In the context of giving, we think of them as, oh, I say today I want to give $30 to this organization next month or over the next year. And there are rich people who make huge pledges, right? And that means they're pledging to give millions of dollars to a given organization over the next 10 years or before they die. So those are statements, yes, I want to give. They're often very public and they're about something that's going to happen in the future. And that introduces this potential for, yeah, I say today that I want to pledge, but when the future becomes the present, I may change my mind. Um, and, you know, for years, NPR had a pledge drive, right? And that was exactly the same sense. People would call in and say, I pledge to give $100. But that didn't mean that they gave $100. That meant that at some point in the near future, they would hopefully actually give the $100. Um, and, and yeah, so how we, how we have studied them are basically in this way, thinking about, you know, what happens when we ask individuals to make a statement saying, yes, I want to give, but they know that statement is not a full commitment, that they can change their mind yeah. and can eventually choose not to give what the future becomes present. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, there's obviously like the capital campaign, major gift, legacy giving type pledge, but that's pretty different than the NPR style type drive pledge, yes. which is more of where you're focused. And what I've yes. seen uh, in some other research is when we take the actual transaction 
or the, the pain or the cost off the table and just say, yeah. hey, would you like to give $100? People are often a lot more generous, a lot more willing, mm-hmm. right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's the fun foundational theory behind pledging, right, is take money off the table and people will be more generous. That's yeah. generally accepted, correct? Correct. But the big problem is, well, if they never follow through, then who cares? You didn't get the money anyways, which is really where your research was really interesting. So can you um, – so if that's kind of like what pledging is, what, what we know and kind of what the problem is. Walk us through maybe like the, the setup uh, of the research and how you actually yeah. went about testing some of these hypotheses. Yes. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, we um, – so we were interested in this question. As you were saying, we're, we're looking more at small gifts. Um, that everyday people kind of do. And we set up a study in which we asked our participants um, to pledge and they were we were going to have meetings with them twice. Um, so they knew they were going to see us, say, in week one and then we were going to see them again a week later. And so in week one, we asked them, basically, we had different treatments, different conditions or different questions Um in one treatment one or one condition, we asked them, do you want to pledge um, to give later? And then they knew that they weren't giving out the money in week one, right? As you were saying, the money was off the table in week one. It was regarding money that would be on the table in week two. And so that was one case where we asked, do you want to pledge? And in that case, there was one case where pledging was the only thing they could do, right? So um, they couldn't give money in week one. It was It was not an option. But we also asked ourselves, well, what happens if they would have both options? Both options would be on the table, so to say. I can gift today or I can pledge to give in a week. And and those were the kinds of um, behaviors we were interested in understanding better. Gotcha. Okay, so that, that was kind of the setup. Yeah. Uh, and then what, what did you actually kind of find or what did people actually do? Yeah, so one small detail that I'm not... Details, not small, but one important detail was that um, we thought there was going to be reneging, right? So we thought people would not fulfill their pledges in week two. And so we thought, what can we do in week one to perhaps increase the likelihood that they will actually follow through with their pledges? So after they had pledged, people who had pledged got an email from us thanking them for their pledge. So it was basically right after they had pledged, we said, thank you, this donation is going to be really important, it means a lot to us. And that happened a week before they came back to the lab, um, to the study and to uh, week two of the, of, the, of the study. So we found a lot of people pledged, right? Like you were saying earlier, basically, when you take money off the table and you say, what do you want to give? A lot of people agree to give. But... As you potentially could expect, when they came back in week two, a lot of people chose to renege on that pledge and not give. The interesting part was that um, it really mattered if we had thanked them. So just sending them a small thank you note for their pledge can reduce the rate of reneging substantially, especially if that's you know, uh, remember that I said in one case, some people could give right away and others could pledge. We had already collected, say, the donations from those who really wanted to give and gave in week one. And so the week of pleasure, the group of pleasures that said, I want to give in week two, were already, you know, they were already telling us by choosing to pledge and not to give immediately. They were already telling us something about themselves that where they were 
probably not as enthusiastic as the people who were giving in week one. And so thanking them really made a difference. And that led to overall higher donations collected. And um, so we were, we were struck, but it's, um, you know, there's growing research on gratitude and there's a bigger question on how should you express gratitude? Does gratitude work? Does it always work? And under, you know, on which margins does it work? And our research suggests it does work. It works especially um, on pledges before final gifts are actually made. Um, there's other interesting research, not by us, but by uh, colleagues of us that suggest that like, the thank yous don't always work. But in this context, they did, which, um, which was encouraging. Yeah, it, and the whole the whole research around uh, thank you is is interesting. I don't know if if you're referencing some like Chuck Longfield's uh, and like they looked at six hundred thousand thank yous over a series mm-hmm. of months and found no discernible difference. But what's interesting yeah. is so many of those thank yous were done like five to seven months later. Where sure. a lot of the research that we have about thank yous like speed or immediacy is critical. Like it has to be forty eight hours or like you know yeah. pretty quick after. So even within that whole world of gratitude and thanking, there's so many variables, which is interesting. And I'm again, I'm just glad there's people like you and, and others that are like looking at it, which is interesting. But yeah, I thought uh, one of the things you said in your presentation that I thought was interesting is part of the reason why pledging often has uh, like a higher reneging rate or uh, lower completion rate is a lot of people who choose to pledge, they're not really interested in pledging. They just uh-huh. say they'll pledge to kind of alleviate a little like guilt or burden now, yeah. but they really have no desire and so by maybe you know having a follow-up touch point or something like that it it helps kind of separating like okay are you really interested in doing this or or not or like you know an an additional reminder where people can be like oh yes I do or or have them opt out or something like that yes I think that's a really important point that you know sometimes when people are asked they they may say yes and especially pledging because it's not that costly they may say yes just to say of course I'm generous and I don't want to say be the person who says no um and so that creates a big question right for the fundraiser how do I deal with these people and what I found interesting here is that in now, if you give people the option to give right away those who really want to give they'll give right away and they'll be happy and with the thank you notes on pledgers we're just touching on those people right so we're like already like targeting a group of people who are like more mm, yes i want to say yes but mm, maybe <laughs> maybe it's going to be no eventually and so we're also decreasing the burden on those people who really want to give and who enjoy it we're not going to touch on them and you know perhaps annoy them we're just going after perhaps people who are more marginal and where we can make a difference right and without the cost of you know touching on them again, which is costly for the organization, but also costly for the donor, because maybe they, they are happy to give once, but they don't want to be in constant right, reminder right. of that. So what what um what else kind of stood out to you as maybe being like uh, interesting or something that came out of the study that you maybe were surprised by or something that you were like really excited about or something like that? Anything that jumped out to you? <laughs> um. So what I thought was really interesting was the fact that it really matters whether how many options we give to people, right? So we tend to think, oh, that's pledging work or that's um, thank yous work. Well, this kind of sends a, a more nuanced message as we were saying things are complicated, right? 
but it takes into account the heterogeneity of the donors, right? So we want to think that donors are heterogeneous. And so maybe, yes, offering different options, give now or pledge, will get us people of different types to take these different options. And through their choices, we can learn something about them. And that's information that could be useful to fundraisers on the road because, you know, you can target, probably many people already do this, but highlighting, I think, is important, you know. Think about how the donor has given in the past and, you know, target and what that implies for, you know, what their motives may be for giving is, is targeting things like thank yous for the more marginal donors. I thought it was super interesting. Yeah. And so then, uh, you know, moving from research to maybe more application, I think one of the things that was really interesting to me is when we look at like donation page conversion rates, it's about 17%, which means mm-hmm. 83% of people visit a donation page and don't donate. So that's what we're always trying to figure out is, man, how do we get that number, you know, higher or lower, whichever way you think about it, and yeah. would potentially offering this like, you know, pay later option, yeah. um, either as an exit intent or a secondary intent, or it seems really risky to have that button that just says pledge <laughs> and like, not taking money right now, like that's crazy for us, you know, direct yeah. response folks. Yeah. But, you know, what your what your research starts to hint at is, A, you'll get a lot more people who take that option, yes. right? There will be people who say, I'll pledge. And then if you do things potentially like a quick thank you, what we've seen is like if we can target with Facebook ads and just show impression mm-hmm. ads, we can improve response rates. And so maybe if we can combine a few kind of follow-up techniques, we can actually increase, you know, overall giving and conversion rate by actually offering that pay later Root. Like, yeah. that's what was so interesting to me. And I would love to find a way to run that experiment. It seems like it could work, but it seems risky, you know? Yes. <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I think it's super exciting. And in the online world, it's, there's uh, there's lots we can test. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting work. And I know the work you're doing is exactly along those lines. And it's really important. And, and I would say yes. And, and, and it doesn't have to be exclusive, right? So you could think of having... The option to give now for those folks that come to your landing page and they do want to give and they want to give now and they're excited and fired up, you want to give them that option. But then maybe for the more marginal guy who's like, well, I don't know if this is going to be something I want to do tomorrow still, then for them, that extra option is important. And of course, it's an empirical question. Is it, are they going to cannibalize each other? Are we going to see people moving from one to the other? What can I do with the information I gather from those that say, I'm interested, but not now? Um, and I, you know, maybe cultivating the relationship, right, could be another way to think about it, right? It's, um, the future opens up the, a bunch of possibilities. And I think, um, so Jim Andreoni and I have done a lot of research on this and thought about it for a long time because we tend to think of charitable giving research as static, right? So how many people do give now? But the, there's, the opening the door to the future is really important. We know for tax policy, it's really important. We know for the fundraising sector, it's really important. But we know research-wise, we know relatively little. And it's a growing field in research. And with the work you're doing, there could be lots of synergies, I think. Yeah, and I think this it's a great opportunity to try to, to prove some of these things. And, and again, what stood out is um, in the research it, it kind of lined up with a lot of other things that we've seen work where if we can just get a, a donor or a visitor to like just nod their head in a small way or just raise their hand a little mm-hmm. bit, now mm-hmm. there's an opportunity. We can keep momentum going. We can cultivate. But right. the hardest thing is to get someone to just kind of 
take the first little step or just raise their hand for us to know,、yeah. right? So even if someone、mm-hmm. just expresses a little interest, like, yeah, I'm ready to give. Yeah. Then, then us on the marketing side, we could do something, or, or even like potentially we would lose some donors. But when you take money off the table, people are more generous. So average gift maybe、exactly. would go up, and it would compensate. Like, there's so many、yeah. interesting things in there, which is why I'm trying to trying to find a way to test it. So we'll we'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm、uh, excited. That would be awesome. <laughs> so what's what's kind of coming up next、uh, for you and your research? Do you have other studies? Are you trying to replicate this in different ways? What's what are you working on? What are you excited about? I'm really excited about、um, two things. The first thing is bringing this to practitioners in the field and having, you know, like you're saying, larger tests with online fundraising. But also,、um, I'm talking to some companies to see if they they will get to test pledging with their employees and see how that works. So if those projects go off the ground, which you never know, that would be awesome and amazing. And then the second thing, I think we're We're seeing growing research on, let's say, this this intertemporal generosity. I say yes today to give to giving in the future, and thus far the results have been kind of mixed. So sometimes it really increases giving, other times it doesn't have much of an effect. And so with the graduate student, we are actually trying to say, okay, let's look at this systematically, the little pieces of evidence we have, and we're devising kind of new studies to figure out what is going on. Why are we seeing results going one way in some cases and going another way in others? Because I think understanding that would, would help us in the future to set up you know, effective ways to, I think, not only change giving, which is important, but something that perhaps you also hinted at, which is like to make everyone overall more happy, right? So maybe the fundraising organization wants to collect more dollars. We also want to potentially have donors be happy, right? So. If we're getting, if we're guilting them into giving, sometimes we may get good short-run effects, but we really need to think about it in the long run. And so, I think the value here is on figuring out ways, figuring out ways in which we will, you know, make everyone happier, more donors, but happier donors as well. Yeah, no, for sure. That the happiness factor is something that、uh, is I see a lot of research on right now, which is great. And then the emerging. Some of the emerging research that I see, which is also really, really interesting, is more longitudinal thinking, like、uh-huh. you know,、yeah. years out. I mean, even us for starting to try and do more experiments that are even six months, twelve months. Because reality, you can get a donation today, and then if that person's gone, then it's it's tough. So, like longitudinal,、exactly. and then some people are looking at the effects of、um, not just one organization, which is what we normally have to study, but you know, across、yeah. organizations. So, if they give to a disaster、exactly. here,、mm-hmm. does it limit their generosity to other organizations in the future? And so, then we can get a more holistic, bigger picture view of how people give because they don't just give in isolation to one charity,、yeah. right? So, I think that's yeah, again、exactly. awesome that that the research continues to to evolve like that. Yeah,、um, me too. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, well, as you should. That's your world. So, <laughs>、um, a question that that we ask a lot of people on the podcast, and I'd love to hear your answer is,、um, what do you think we can do to grow, improve, and optimize generosity?、Um, I think we should combine research and practice much more than we do. I think that that's that's where I see. This awesome podcast having amazing value. The conference, right? The science of philanthropy initiative having amazing value. That's what I think is going to make generosity better, right? Like for society, we we have knowledge 
but it does, shouldn't stay in the ivory tower of research and universities. And, and you guys are doing amazing work. And I think both things will make us grow and become better. I, I share that answer. Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, especially coming out of that, that conference and then had a few other conversations. It's like, yeah, I think there's definitely something because I think nonprofits, more and more nonprofits are desperate to understand their donors and what's working. Um, more and more academics like yourself are spending time doing cool research on this yeah. area. But yeah. what's what's kind of missing is that link of saying, well, does this work in the real world for real nonprofits and how do we exactly. go about doing that? So we are trying to figure out these ways. How do we connect research to nonprofits and execution? Exactly. So we'll yeah. figure that out. We'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the flip side, right, every nonprofit is doing a charitable, let's say, fundraising campaign and every fundraising campaign is an opportunity for research, right? So Yeah, totally. It's amazing how many opportunities there are. It's just about getting the conversation going between both sides. And, um, and yeah, that, that requires reaching out from both sides, right? Like you're doing, you're reaching out to um, people doing research. And, and I try to reach out to practitioners, at least locally, for example, in San Diego, to see, you know, what they're up to, what they're interested in, and how we yeah. can leverage our common interests. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Well, hopefully we can narrow that gap more and more. Um, well, thank you so much for, for taking some time and sharing more about your research. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, well, I have a personal website, a web page or whatever. <laughs> Maybe there. <laughs> um, I don't have a good address, but I guess if you Google my name, it's easy to find. I don't. <laughs> well, we can send, we'll put the link in the, in the episode yes. notes. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Great. And uh, and then you, you, that's where you can find uh, your research studies and, and the stuff that you're working on? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll be uh, happy to share that out. And thank you so much again for, for coming and sharing with us. Yeah, thank you. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>